This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. You've probably noticed that there are some people in your life who wind you up. Now, I'm not going to name names of the people in my life who wind me up, but oh, you need to know I have them in my head right now. I can see them. I can hear them. I can feel my breath getting a little faster, my shoulders going up around my ears, my spine stiffening, my kind of jaw clenching a bit. And equally, and I hope this is true for you as well, there are some people in my life who calm me down, who just make me smile, make me breathe, let my shoulders drop, let my heart open. And Eric Klein is one of those people. He is a great calming influence in my life and a deep and precious friend. I know Eric as part of my mastermind group. Um, you may have heard me speak about this before. One of the other guests, Jen Loudon, is also part of that mastermind group. A motley collection of people who've been getting together for 15 years, much to our surprise because none of us actually like gatherings and mastermind groups in theory. But in practice, we've all been this committed members of this group that support each other with checking in during the week and talking to each other twice a month and then meeting up when we could meet up uh, once a year. And so I've had the benefit of not just Eric's friendship, but actually his coaching and his guidance and his mentorship um, as the years have unfolded. So you can hear that I, I feel Eric's a special friend and a, a special person in my life. Let me tell you why you might care about him as well. He is one of the few people on the planet to be both a best-selling leadership author and a lineage holder and teacher in a 3,000-year yoga tradition. He leads Wisdom Heart, a global online meditation community, and serves organizations at themindfulteam.com. Through his online programs, retreats, and coaching, Eric has worked with thousands of sincere spiritual seekers for over 40 years. And part of what's cool about this really is if you know me, it's like I'm, I'm not that spiritual, <laughs> or at least I don't, you know, I'm an atheist <laughs> and I don't kind of follow that. So I'm like, how am I hanging out with a spiritual lineage line? How does that work? Well, let's find out. Eric, it's nice to have you here. Thank you, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. I am happy to have you here. And one of the things that I know to be true is in a time of anxiety and uncertainty and crisis, and we're in the middle of one right now with the COVID-19 thing, but just in general, because this will be listened to after that's come and gone, um, people get wound up. <laughs> yes. Um, why, why is that? Why don't we just keep it cool the whole time? What, what triggers us getting anxious? Well, you've written a lot about this, and it's, and it's quite well known, I think, among your listeners, hello, listeners, that um, you know, our brain is like a, uh, a layer cake or a, some kind of parfait where there's, <laughs> there's, 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 there's in our neurological inheritance, we have this reptilian brain, you know, which is basically just looking constantly for threats. And what a wonderful thing it's been because it, it brought us here today to this right, podcast, exactly. You know? And we have this limbic brain, which is always checking of like, am I belonging or not? You know, am I right? And, and, you know, that's been part of our brain trust, you know, the connection and, and all of us that what a beautiful 
resource it's been for bonding and for yeah. uh, communal activity. And then we have this prefrontal cortex, which is like, kind of like ass. the smart <laughs> ass. And it asks this question, like, what the heck is going on? Like, right. And they, we need to integrate and to, uh, well, basically integrate and coordinate all three of these. They each have a role to play. When anyone gets way out in front of the other, the system gets out of balance. And when the conditions around us are, you know, perfect and, every, and the, you know, we're in the sp at the spa or whatever, we're in our yard and the sun's shining, you know, we have the drink and the beautiful friend is there. Of course, you know, the whole thing uh, organizes into a sense of peace and presence. When the conditions get out of balance, then our whole, our whole internal system gets activated to try to reestablish itself. And when the system like we're in right now globally gets so far out of balance, mm. then we really, really need to double down on skillful practices for bringing a sense of calm and clarity and presence into our own nervous system because there's not a lot of conditional support for that. Right. So, so part of it is recognizing the, the moment and the anxiety of the moment and then going, look, if there's not a lot of conditional support to calm me down, the onus is on me to calm myself down. Yes. And to calm down, yeah, all the parts of myself, you know, right. the parts that don't, don't respond to logic. <laughs> you know, that's you that's that's, that's I'm a, I was a hundred percent me, <laughs> but okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's parts of us that no matter how much rationality we throw on it, it's yeah. just like it's not going to go in because that's not the language it speaks. So, like our body, for example, you know, this this self preservation instinct, it speaks the language of touch and it speaks the language of breath. Mm. So we can communicate with these you know, sort of pre-rational parts of ourself by engaging in, in its language, which is really the language of the breath at a very basic level. Right. By speaking to our bodies through slow, mindful breathing, we are, and we are then talking to it and we're telling it, particularly when we focus on that exhaling breath. Mm -hmm. This is hardwired in, that long exhale tells our body, you're safe. Right. And right now, everyone who's listening, that's true right now. <laughs> right. Know? So it's a good to, it's good to communicate to those places in us that don't care about the data or take the data only and convert it into another reason to be alarmed. Right. Do you I mean, I love, first of all, I love the metaphor of it, like your brain is a layer cake or a parfait. I've never heard that before. And it makes me smile. Um, and then I love also the insight that you're trying to bring it back in, in alignment with itself because yeah. it's all being jolted out. Do you start with the pre-rational part or do you start with the rational part? I mean, or do you do it the all at once? The first move is, the first move is to notice. So that does come from... Um, the prefrontal. It does come from the kind of logical sort of place. Yeah. yeah. So it does have you know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm screaming. Okay, must be, must be. <laughs> you know, I must be a little activated, or you know, right. 
And the good news is for all of us, you know, who are over, let's say, 30 years old at this point, and or any of us who have been had a, par a significant partner, whether that's in a family lover or work relationship, we've usually become clued into we have a particular uh, tell, a particular mm -hmm. signal, a particular um, pattern that when when we start to destabilize, that's the one that comes out. Yeah. And so the more we are sensitive to its arising and we the more we make what I like to call a kind of a pre-abstract agreement, which is we make a pre a contract, like a pre-nuptial contract, which is as I've decided when that starts up, even though it will seem from the perspective of my reactivity that this really is a moment to freak out, I make a, a, an agreement that as it activates, that's the, that's the time to practice these uh, body-based methodologies yes. because at that moment, that part of me is not qualified to assess reality. Okay. The, the worst time to decide on how to deal with when you're freaking out is when you're freaking out. Exactly. Because you that, can't, because you're, you're, you're too busy freaking out to know that. But if you've got that awareness of, look, when this happens, I do this, then exactly. you've got a chance of building that into a habit and a response. That's the pre, so that's the rational part that makes that commitment. And even though we know part of that commitment is we know, you know, you're not going to believe me, body, at that moment. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're just going to do this and see what happens. Right. Yeah. So that's what, so then we immediately go to the base, so to speak. We immediately begin at the body level because if that's out of whack, if that is out of whack, we don't really have a fighting chance of recalibrating ourselves mentally. And we don't really have a fighting chance of recalibrating ourselves emotionally. Do you, do you know the story of uh, Ulysses and the Sirens? Exactly. It's, it's just like that, isn't it? I mean, you probably yeah. use that in your teaching, but it's only just occurred to me. The, uh, you know, Ulysses is going, or Odysseus is saying, okay, we're going to go to the sirens. They're the screaming birds that lure you, the ships onto the rocks. Um, you're going to have to tie me to the mast. <laughs> yes. And and you can see how that's an action around tying to the mast is literally a kind of a grounding, a kind of a body-centered yes. practice. But then what I love about that story is he goes, and by the way, when it comes, when it starts happening, I will be doing everything I can to persuade you to untie me from the mast. And your job is to ignore that. You've got to set up that kind of follow through. That's so right. that you, you're, you're, so the, the sirens start going, Ulysses is like, no, no, when I said tie me to the mast, you know, obviously that sounded good at the time, but now you should really untie me. It's really yeah. important. And everyone's like, no, this is the practice. This is the discipline. This is a real emergency. I know all those other ones. Yeah, exactly. It's like no. no, I'm serious now. Now I'm now now you really need to panic slash untie me from the mask. So it really only takes a few breaths. That's the beautiful thing about it. So because just as the body can be sort of insistent about <laughs> about you know reactivity, it doesn't take long for it to get the message if we speak its language. Yep. So so that full inhale, not strained in any way, just a full inhale and a little bit longer on the exhale because the exhaling breath is wired in to our system as the relaxation, like the sigh of relief. <laughs> so we do that long exhale. That's slightly, yeah. if, we breathe, if we breathe into five count, you know, or whatever that is for you, 
you would breathe out to seven, just a little bit extra. And it dials down the nervous system. Yeah. Kristen Neff, in her research on self-compassion out of the University of Texas, she has, you know, as many of the scientists are discovering some of the ancient practices and their profound neurological effects, she's pointed out that if while you're doing that, you just place your hand in the center of your chest very lightly with a sort of a gesture of care, yeah. that is also hardwired into our system <laughs> from you know millions of years uh -huh. of evolution that the loving touch means you're safe. We think we're so smart, but we're just a big bunch of reactive stuff. <laughs> and knowing it, we can really use it because it's right. got so much energy, right? The body's energy. Yeah. You know, all the, it's like the momentum of evolution. Wow. If we can just gently direct it into the uh, direction of, let's call it, if we can use our self-care to help us turn towards world care, mm -hmm. then we are really, really onto something. You know, part of the baggage of the breath yeah. Is it kind of gets lumped into meditation and then meditation gets lumped into spirituality and then spirituality yeah. gets lumped into enlightenment slash transcendence. And yes. that's a whole lot of baggage. And um, I'm wondering how you help us keep those separate. Yeah. So all of the baggage, I mean, I would say, yeah, all the baggage, you know, the kind of the, the religious and the mythic frameworks are, um, it's, I think it's useful to think of them as metaphors. Okay. It's useful to think of them as symbols. So whether we think of enlightenment as some kind, and even if we think of enlightenment as sort of, and we think of that, and then we have images of like Buddha statues or saints with halos, you know, most of those can go away unless they speak to you. The key is to go, what's the, so if enlightenment means something to me, what does it mean? If transcendence means something to me, right. now my teacher used to say, the practice is, the practice of meditation is the practice of becoming capable of thinking a thought you haven't thought before. <laughs> and he goes, that's, enli that's enlightenment. <laughs> like when that thought comes in, you're, that's like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm enlightened. You know, now whether it's whatever it means, there's more, there's more thoughts you haven't thought, so it's not complete enlightenment, but who cares? It's, a, it's an expanding of your horizon of awareness. And I just, you know, when he first said that back when I was a teenager and I began studying with him, I thought that doesn't sound very spiritual. <laughs> oh man, I have learned over the decades. <laughs> Nothing is more spiritual than that subtle expansion that allows in a perspective. That's really what they mean by a thought, a perspective that I haven't had access to. My world is just transformed. And, as my, and my capacity to contribute to that world is just transformed. Right. So I, I would... You know, if the metaphors are are helpful, if the metaphors are inspiring, see them and use them. I love that because because yeah. I'm not, I don't get too excited by an icon. I get right. quite excited about seeing a thought I haven't seen before, which is like, yeah. I mean, if the if the icon for, and the problem with it is we see how people's belief systems actually become closed loops mm. that don't open to thoughts we haven't thought before and. And that's the opposite of enlightenment. <laughs> you know, that's the that's just that's sort of like a 
rigid knowingness. And what we want to do is to create a permeability and recognize we don't know fundamentally. And we can be, as you point out so beautifully in your MBS.org, we can have that attitude of curiosity, which which is a welcoming to the new and a welcoming to the wisdom that is just outside the parameters of my current uh, thought system. When you talk to us about the the breath and the exhale, mm, yeah. and the and the loving touch on our on our chest, just holding it lightly, it feels that that is connecting to just tens of thousands of years of wired self care, totally, um, and self management. It's like here's how I calm myself mm. so that I can bring my brain back into alignment, and that those layers of the amygdala and the limbic and the prefrontal cortex are all kind of back in sync with each other. Right. And then we move into the second phase. Yeah. The second phase is what we just sort of were hinting at, which is, so after we calm the body, then we are ready to clear the mind. Mm -hmm. And what clearing the mind means is not that we have a blank mind, but that we have a very spacious attitude towards what is arising in the mind that we well we allow it to come because it's coming anyway and we allow it to go because it's going to go anyway Mm -hmm. the the thought every thought you've ever thought is gone you know at this it's already gone (laughs) at this moment but you so you don't actually have to get rid of thoughts to create that spacious mind yeah you just have to allow them to go on their own and this is again where we come back to the breath as an anchor and we just witness what is arising in the field of the mind, or as the traditions often speak of it, is in the sky of the mind. Now, this mm-hmm. is a metaphor. It's not, you know, you could think of it as a religious idea, but it's a metaphor of, because it's, it's a spacious, the sky, sky is not disturbed by clouds. <laughs> right. The sky, the sky is, un, you know, clouds can come and go in the sky, and the, there's <laughs> nothing, nothing is rippled in the sky. Nothing is, <laughs> Nothing right. is, you know, destroyed in the sky. And it's the same in, the, in, the set, in awareness. And as we practice, we learn to distinguish between awareness and the contents of awareness. So thoughts are the content of awareness. Some of the content is beautiful. Some of it's dark and stormy. It's still all content. The sky is that which is aware of it. And that is... In religious language, that would be the Buddha mind, you could call it. But in just experiential language, it is the capacity to witness with loving awareness. That's important. To witness with loving awareness, because we don't push it away. We don't pull it towards us. We see it. We let it be. And it goes on its own. I tell you what's striking a chord for me here, Eric, and it's a connection that you'll probably... You you won't do this because you don't roll your eyes, but a, a lesser person would probably roll their eyes and go, catch up, Michael. But um, I've always, you know, we talk about, I talk about emotional intelligence a little bit in yeah. the work that I do because a lot of the stuff that yeah. I talk about and I teach kind of is connected in a, in a, a tight or a loose way to this idea of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a lot of definitions or half definitions of emotional intelligence floating around. I've mm. always found the one that's most useful for me is thinking of emotional intelligence as the ability to see yourself in the moment 
and go, how's that working out for you? (laughs) Do you want to do anything different or do you want to, um, do you want to shift your behavior or whatever, your mindset a little bit, or do you want to just carry on as, as, as it is? Yeah. And I'm suddenly going, oh, that's the same. It's uh, an emotional intelligence is going, hey, actually, it's when you remember that you're the sky, you're not the clouds. And you get to see the clouds and go, there's the weather. How's that working out? Exactly. And the more you do it, it's exactly correct. The more you do that, the more you do that with, uh, the more you both do it in terms of how frequently you do that. And the more you do it with a sense of recognition that you're doing that and appreciation. So you do it frequently and you recognize you're doing it and you appreciate that you're doing it. What that does is it raises the baseline level of our witnessing capacity. Mm-hmm. It raises that just like doing an exercise, you know, I'm, I'm moving my arms up and down <laughs> as if I'm lifting a barbell. It strengthens the biceps while you're doing that formal practice. But then when you have to go and, you know, move the couch or lift the groceries, that yeah. strength is available for you in real time. Well, in the self same way, if we practice meditation, which is something very simple and doesn't need to be done for a long time. Yeah. But if we practice it with regularity, with recognition and with appreciation, it builds what you're speaking of. It builds this capacity to notice our state in real time, to, to calibrate whether it's fitting for the moment and, yeah. to, and to redesign or to rebalance it if it's not. You talked about the three steps to to do the practice, to yep. recognize you're doing the practice, and to celebrate doing the practice. Exactly. Why, why why are those three? It feels like that that combination of three is important. But why yeah. do we need all three aspects of that? Okay. Well, first of all, if we never do it, it could, <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> yeah. Actually, everyone, you know. When conditions are right, when conditions are right for pr- promoting self-awareness, then we've all had those moments, you know, like walking in the beach or in, through a forest or, you know, with a loved one. It's suddenly we're like, I'm here. Oh, my God. And it's a beautiful thing. But, you know, it's sort of like um, when I was sitting with my teacher one day and uh, my kids are surfers and I said to him, well, Karina, do you know, what's the difference between surfing and meditating? And he paused, he looked at me, he said, you know what? If they're really surfing, there's nothing. There's no difference. <laughs> because it's, because why? Because it's this unitive experience. You're becoming fully present, fully embodied, fully experienced in the moment. I looked at him and I said, well, you know what? I think there actually is a difference. So we looked at each other. He said, you know, maybe you're right. Because the thing is different is that to surf, you need an ocean, you need a sunny day, you need a surfboard, you need a whole set of conditions right. in order to do that. But to practice meditation, you just need a body. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need a nervous system. It's portable. <laughs> right. This is the beauty of it. So doing it, doing it, doing it. But recognizing that you're doing it means you're doing it formally. Mm-hmm. And, then, and that strengthens the neural networks. That, that myelinates them. And then appreciating it, what you call celebrating, right? That's the third part of, of like the habit formula that you teach. Right. And that really, like, that's like adding extra sauce, you know, <laughs> onto the myelination process. Right. And it, because then that little like puppy inside of us, that limbic part of us is going, ooh, ooh, that was a reward. Yeah, I should I do want, that again. I yeah. want more of that. Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah. And, and myelination, I think, you correct me if I get this wrong, but it's that kind of insulating of the, right. the neural connections so that they become stronger and more successful. Exactly. And more uh, habitual. Yeah. So th this is the fundamental underlying level of mindfulness or presence ra raises as we create more and more myelin around those neural networks that allow us to be self-aware and self-regulating. So we're close to the end. I'm wondering, Eric, if there's a way that you could, if, if deliberately and mindfully and then celebratory practicing um, a meditation is helpful, and it is, I'm wondering if you could lead us through something. Um, not so long that people go, I'm not listening to this, I'm done with this podcast, but just yeah. long enough for them to go, I'm feeling the sweet taste of that. I think this will be under three minutes, perhaps under two. Let's do Perfect. it that way. Yeah, lovely. So wherever you are right now, assuming you're not, if you're in a car driving, please pull over. As long as you're not <laughs> operating heavy machinery, let's place our feet on the ground and place our body in a posture so that your armpits are over your hips. That just gets you to sit up in a nice way. You can be leaning on the back of something and feel the verticality of your body. Feel that verticality. Let your shoulders relax. Feel your sit bones on whatever you're sitting on and take three nice full breaths. And as you breathe out, extend the exhale. Three full in-breath and then extend the exhale. And as you do it, recognize and appreciate how you're communicating with your body safety, settle, secure. And after you've completed another long, slow exhale, just let the breath be natural. Let it breathe on its own. Let it breathe its natural rhythm and feel the inhaling and the exhaling. Feel it. You don't have to focus hard on it. You can notice, am I feeling it in my chest, my belly, my nose, whatever is natural. There's breath coming in and coming out. And it doesn't take usually more than one or two before a thought arises. And that's an opportunity to notice that's a thought. And we can just see it as a cloud. Thoughts come, they pass on their own, and we can return to the breath. We can return to the breath. Through practicing like this, we become connoisseurs, we become epicures of the quality of spaciousness. We get to appreciate it, to get to enjoy its openness and the quality of stillness which opens us to that thought, which we maybe haven't thought at least today. And I would like to invite you to receive from that vast openness, a good word, just one word, a simple word, one or two syllables that represents a quality that would be a benefit to you right now. And as you breathe, let that word come into your body as a feeling, and as you exhale, let the qualities of that good word bathe the selves of your body. The good word with the rhythm of the breath allows you to ingest, to digest, and to integrate a beautiful, healing, strengthening quality into your nervous system. So you can then 
carry your meditation into your world, carry that quality into your world. Your nervous system is both a receiver and a transmitter. You've been receiving the good word now, and now you can transmit it, not by saying it, just by being that quality as you move into your relationships, your work, your situation. And that's it. That was awesome. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Michael. Hey, for people who want to find out about the work you do and the community that you lead, where will they find you? Wisdomheart.com. Wisdomheart.com. Eric, you are awesome. Thank you. Thank you, my man. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up, to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.